0: Families and welcome to another episode of Thriving Special Families. I'm your host, Crystal Sanford, and our topic today is becoming your child's best advocate. We're going to talk about inclusion and mainstreaming today. What is the difference between inclusion and mainstreaming? How can these areas impact your child's education? We're going to talk more about that today. Remember, if you are watching, uh, thank you again for joining us for another episode. If you're watching live, then feel free to add your comments or questions to the comment section, and we'll do our best to answer those along the way. If you're listening to our podcast, then welcome as well to the Thriving Special Families family. And lastly, always remember that the information that is shared is for your informational purposes only. If you're in need of medical or legal advice, please do contact a professional in that area. So today I am so honored to have my guest Sarah Tira. Hi Sarah. Hi. So glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, thank you. So Sarah is the lead advocate at San Diego Special Education Advocates, and she has such great expertise in the area of inclusion and mainstreaming. So just so happy to hear her uh, voice in this area. So let me introduce Sarah. Sarah is a special education advocate again in San Diego. She began her career in special education by substituting as a paraprofessional in special education classes. She then became a moderate to severe special education teacher in the high school setting. Sarah's experienced teaching in a separate specialized school, charter school, and comprehensive high school campuses. For the last 16 years, Sarah has also volunteered her time at a sleepaway camp for children and adults with disabilities through Easter Seals. She now serves on the directing staff for, the, for that camp. Sarah graduated from the University of San Diego with a degree in liberal studies and a concentration in mathematics. She also received her level one education specialist credential from USD and her level two educational specialist credential from National University. As an advocate, Sarah serves families throughout the San Diego County. Her clients have children through ages three through 22, ranging across all ability levels. So, Sarah, you know I'm such a big proponent of story. I really think that the, uh, everyone's story is so valuable. I'd love to hear more about what led you to become an advocate.
1: Yeah. So back in high school, I volunteered at that sleepaway camp. I had a friend who invited me to volunteer with her, and I loved it. It changed my life, and i I've been going every year since. You know, give or take a couple of years when kids were born and things. But uh, that inspired me to be a peer tutor at my own high school so that I could volunteer in the moderate-severe class there during my elective period. And that's what inspired me to be a teacher of my own. And, um, you know, I worked as the the substitute aide to kind of see how different classes worked, how different teachers taught, and became a moderate-severe teacher. And while I was teaching, I would often be frustrated by, you know, the politics and the bureaucracy that sometimes comes along with teaching. And I would joke with my colleagues about becoming an advocate so that I could kind of step out of that system. And when my oldest son was born, I decided to stay home with him, but felt like I was still missing a piece of me. You know, I wanted to give back. I wanted to support those families and those children with special needs. And so I decided to go to the advocacy seminars at USD. They were taught by one of the professors that I had at USD while I was getting my credential. And she taught the special ed class, special ed law class. And I loved it. I thought it was fascinating. So I gave those seminars a try and learned about the advocacy side of special education and my business was born.
0: That is amazing how you were able to make that transition and kind of get your feet wet and then become a teacher and then soon realize, you know what, I want to help families in a in a different way, in a more meaningful way. And not to take away from, you know, teachers in the public school system, you know, it's awesome. You know, I, I too worked for over 20 years as a SLP, a speech pathologist in public schools, but there's just only so much support you can provide families in that context, which is what you saw.
1: Um, exactly.
0: Yeah. I can remember being on that side of the table, wishing I could spend another hour with the parent or, you know, wishing I could explain things and guide them. And so, um, I can see where that led you to then becoming an advocate, which has probably worked out well for your family as well as for your your personal ambitions. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, our topic today is becoming your child's best advocate. And, you know, we know parents know their children the best. And so what we can do to empower them with more knowledge, I think, is really meaningful. So today's our focus is on inclusion and mainstreaming. And and Sarah, in your perspective, what is the difference between inclusion and mainstreaming?
1: Well, both terms are used interchangeably a lot of times. And they, they're they both basically based on the idea that children with special needs should be educated in the least restrictive environment, the environment that allows for them to be with their general education peers. Uh, but there's some slight differences in the technical definitions of each, In mainstreaming, the child may or may not have special education support while they're in the general ed class. Uh, A lot of times with mainstreaming, the special ed class serves as a home base for the student. You know, they'll they'll start their day there, and then they'll go out to attend various general ed classes, either academic classes or non-academic elective type classes. And usually the expectation with mainstreaming is that the student will be working on Uh, similar learning material and similar standards that the rest of the class is working on. And with inclusion, uh, special ed support can be brought into the general ed class. You know, the the special ed teacher might go into the class and be working on a a small group with a small group of students. The related services, service providers like speech or occupational therapy or physical therapy, they might deliver their services via a push-in model where they go into the general ed class and they're helping the student participate in that class. And the, the student with inclusion can be working on material close to the same standard or objective, or they can be working on something completely different, but still be involved in that same lesson. And I found, you know, in my experience, a mix of the two seems to be the most effective. It just depends on you know, what the student needs, that I in IEP, right? The individualized part where we're not trying to put kids into existing programs, but as the IEP team, we are looking at what each child needs and developing a program that best meets their needs.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing clarity to that. It sounds as though, you know, mainstreaming truly is for that child that has maybe less needs and can function a little bit more independently in that genetic environment. And then inclusion might be for a child who has maybe higher needs and can be in the genetic environment and deserves access to that environment, but they just need some additional supports to be there. Right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, we also had a parent. Uh, and parents, if you're just joining us again, welcome to another episode of Thriving Special Families. What's inclusion? What's mainstreaming? How can this impact your child? That's our topic today. As we have Sarah Tira from Spe- San Diego Special Education Advocates. Um, and so we do have a question from a parent. She wondered if you knew if those classes, your special education training, uh, your advocacy training program was still available at USC here in San Diego.
1: Yes, I believe so. I think this past year they did it virtually, but, um, I think they offer it usually twice a year, at least in the fall every year. Um, so it, the, the acronym they use is S E L A S special, special education, law and advocacy series, seminar series. So if you search for that, I'm sure you'll be able to find more information.
0: Awesome. Yes. I too went through that same program. I found it to be just a wonderful, uh, asset to myself and adding, uh, more tools to my tool belt as an advocate. It was a great program too. So I do also highly recommend that. And um, we also have another, uh, advocate who's, uh, watching and joining us. We have Jenny, uh, rail. So ha- shout out to Jenny out there. Another one of our Thank wonderful you. advocates, Hey, um, in San Diego. Um, and then another one of, uh, my regular, uh, uh, Parents Who Watches is Peggy, so shout out to Peggy as well. Um, So, uh, you know, our next question is, uh, you know, you had a lot of experience in supporting kids in the public school system. You, I'm sure, had students who were included, who experienced mainstreaming. What tips do you have for parents who are looking to have their child gain more access in that least restrictive environment?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of different reasons that parents struggle sometimes to get their student to have more access. Um, It can be because the student is maybe having a hard time in the general ed environment. Maybe the the right supports aren't in place yet, or the staff isn't as involved as they should be, or maybe they don't know how to uh, facilitate more inclusion for the child. So a lot of times what I try to do in general is I'll first look at the child's IEP goals Uh, I'll see if the goals are based on any sort of standards that can be applied to the general ed class. I will look and see if the child is currently making progress on their goals with the type of mainstreaming or inclusion that they're currently getting. And I'll also look at how their current goals could be implemented in general ed. And while I was teaching, I had a really helpful chart that I would use and I would show parents and they were always so excited to see it because it makes a lot of sense. On the, the vertical side of the chart, I write down the child's schedule for the day, you know, first period, second period, recess, lunch, you know, whatever they're doing throughout the day. And then along the top of the chart, I would put each IEP goal. And then I would put an X in the chart for wherever that IEP goal on the schedule is going to be worked on throughout the day. And parents love that because they can see then, you know, what's being worked on and when. And you can. Can share that with the general ed teacher so they know what the expectations are in that class. And then the second piece of advice I would give would be to gather data to back up your request. You know, if you want them to attend a certain class, ask to observe that class. Or if they're in a class but having trouble, ask to observe. You can ask to trial more time. I've noticed that IEP teams are a little more receptive to asking for a trial instead of, you know, a, a finite, you know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, you can ask for updated assessments or independent evaluations if r- recent assessments were done that you don't think were uh, information informative enough. And you can also ask for data about how the inclusion and in mainstreaming is going so far. You know, what has the child been doing? Are they participating in different activities? What types of training did the teacher get? You know, that those sorts of things.
0: Mm-hmm. These are all wonderful tips. First of all, I love your uh, schedule. And I think, uh, parents would love just to have access to that or could maybe even recreate that. So that's uh, sounds like a, a great visual and not just for families, but also for Jeanette uh, teachers, paras, whomever is going to be supporting the kid throughout the day. So that's great so that we can really make sure that those IEP goals are being worked on. Right. Because, they should be, uh, parents should be receiving progress reports about how their children are, are doing on these IEP goals. So this is a great way to collect data and, and a great way for parents to be able to hold teams accountable in regards to those IEP goals. Um, right. And then another, another piece uh, that you, you kind of touched on was, um, you know, asking for data and also asking for a trial. I think that can be a super great compromise, um, and it could go either way. If there's a, a, a change that a parent is maybe concerned about, then possibly a trial might be a good option or that the, that the team might not be put, maybe pushing back about saying, well, a trial could be a good option. Um, and oh, we have another advocate uh, out there with us as well, April. Shout out to April uh, Viafana, who uh, also is a great advocate here in San Diego.
1: Hi, April. Uh, so-
0: Awesome. So here's another question in regards to your work uh, when you were in the more uh, minor to severe environment, right? in that program, you know, um, you know, I have seen both as an employee and as an advocate, I've seen inclusion uh, done well, and I've seen it done poorly. You know, I've seen kiddos with high needs in the gen ed classroom, in the back of the room with an aide playing with the toy, you know, and not even engaging. So what tips do you have for parents who have children who have more significant needs, but they know that their child could really benefit from having access to that uh, genetic environment.
1: So, yeah, like you said, I've seen that too, where, you know, sometimes it's done really well and other times the child is just kind of sitting in the back and they're a body in the room, but they're not getting any sort of value from being there. And so I think I think it's important to also mention, you know, there once a child gets into middle school, high school, You know, there's two main tracks that a a student might be on. They might be diploma bound where they're working towards getting their high school diploma or they may be certificate bound where they're working towards that certificate of completion. And so usually and I say usually because, you know, every case is different, but usually those students with moderate to severe disabilities are working towards their certificate of completion instead of the diploma. And so usually they're working on more, you know, functional life skills in those types of settings mm-hmm. and working on, you know, communication skills, social skills, skills that would help them, you know, in the workforce to get a job, to participate in the community. And so it's important, I think, for, for parents and teachers to realize that it, just because the student maybe isn't reading at grade level or isn't going to be working on algebra there, there are a lot of other valuable skills that they can be working on while they're in that class. You know, They can be working on vocational skills like helping the teacher pass out the papers or the, they can be working on communication skills by having some responses to class discussions pre-programmed into their communication device. Um, they can be working on social skills by greeting their peers, by participating in the group, uh, by helping the teacher ask questions, You can pair uh, peers strategically with the student for group projects. You know, maybe there's a student in the class who, you know, really excels or really loves to be helpful. And so they would be a great peer buddy for the student in the class. And then there's also peer tutor programs where, uh, like I did in high school, where during a student's elective, you can go to the uh, special ed class and you can either help out in that class, which is kind of reverse mainstreaming, or you can accompany a student with moderate to severe disabilities into a general ed class. and you can help, you know make sure that they're participating. You can let the general ed teacher and special ed teacher know, you know if anything's going on, pass along assignment information, and you can also another thing that's really helpful is ask the IEP team for a list of clubs or extracurricular activities and maybe pick one or two for your child to participate in. Um, and you can ask the IEP team for help facilitating the students involvement. A lot of times clubs meet during lunch and, you know, there's all sorts of different various interests. I know at the schools that I taught at, there were video game clubs and anime clubs and um you know, cartoon clubs, cooking clubs, all sorts of things. So there's bound to be something that your child would like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times on the IEP, you know, they talk about uh, the general ed time that your child is supposed to have, and there's percentages listed, and they're supposed to also include lunch and passing period and recess in that time. So it's a good way to make sure that that time is used effectively instead of, you know, just saying that it's
0: being used. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Finding creative ways um, to have our children have access to their general education peers to really maybe dive into some of their special interests. You know, those clubs can be really awesome. Um, And I love those ideas about even the kid communication device can be helpful in engaging, supporting the teacher, interacting with their peers in a gen ed environment. So these are great, great tips. And I hope parents you're listening, realizing that Um, the potential is there for your child to be able to be successful, to have some positive engagements um, in a variety of environments. So don't be dissuaded or or persuaded by an IEP team um, to have lower expectations. I always encourage parents to have high expectations. And then if the child has significant struggles, we can put in some supports, but at least we've started high, which is really what the law says, restrictive environment. Um, So now, Sarah, what have you seen differently when it comes to inclusion and mainstreaming um, in the past, you know, year or so now that we've been in, you know, school closures and distance learning and hybrid learning? um, Is inclusion and mainstreaming even happening right now? So
1: like everything else right now, it definitely varies, you know, from Mm -hmm. district to district and even from school to school, Uh, you know, and everything continues to change as regulations are changing And so in some, it's been possible and others, not so much, unfortunately. Um, And I've I've noticed, you know, with in-person learning, one of the reasons that districts are having trouble is because of cohorts and trying to keep, you know, numbers of groups of students low. Uh, But technically, if it's on the IEP, they should still be providing it somehow. So I've seen a lot of creative use of distance learning for inclusion for students. And, you know, some positives with the distance learning model were that parents and students could access the general ed environment from home and parents were able to see you know, what was going on in that general ed class and how, how the class works and the structure of the class so that they can be more informed in IEP meetings when teams are making those decisions. And I've also seen with distance learning that teams were more open to trialing more general ed time just because the student was joining virtually so it, they could be flexible with schedules and there was just a little bit more time to uh, you know, work, work that out.
0: Well, that's been a plus. That's awesome to see that, you know, and that's, I can imagine that more teams might be willing to trial things because it's, it, it's an easier way to integrate the student, you know, through, you know, Zoom and distance learning. So that's awesome. Um, so, you know, without, uh, you know, sharing any more specific information, can you tell us about maybe a, a success story with a family that you've supported when it comes to inclusion and mainstreaming?
1: Yes. So I have a client who reached out to me originally because her son is supposed to have a one-on-one aid while well, he's included in general ed, but uh, for whatever reason, the school district had stopped providing that one-on-one aid. There was an aid in the class already for, you know, there were about six to eight special education students that would participate in this general ed class. And so the district was saying, you know, oh, that's enough. You know, he's, he's doing fine. He's making progress. And the mom and i kept saying no this isn't what's in the iep we need to have a one on one aid and it came out the student had left campus a couple times and oh. there were it was some serious problems and we had multiple iep meetings and emails and the district just was not receptive to what we were trying to say so i ended up filing a compliance complaint with the state of california mm. and it it came back with the state that we were right and that the district needed to provide the aid as it was written in the IEP and they also ended up giving some compensatory tutoring hours to the student as a little makeup for the lost time. So,
0: Well that's great, that's so wonderful that that case turned around um, and that finally although you had to you know help the parent exercise their parent rights, um, at least it was able to be found that this child truly receive the IEP related services, whatever sit in the IEP. So that's wonderful. Um, So parents, if you have any final questions, and if you're watching us live, feel free to add those to the comments section. Uh, Sarah, how can parents contact you if they have more specific questions around uh, inclusion and mainstreaming, or if they have a child, uh, maybe who's a high schooler, because sounds like that's a real place of specialty for you.
1: Yeah, well, my email, I check it all the time. My email is S Tira, like my name, Sarah Tira at San Diego, And I also have a website, San Diego, dot So those are the two best ways to find me.
0: Awesome. Great. So parents, if you've got more inclusion and mainstreaming questions, feel free to contact Sarah. Um, She's got a wealth of experience in this area, and I think she can be a really valuable resource uh, for you there. Um, And if you're a parent of a child with autism, if you've got some specific IEP concerns, feel free to reach out to us at Stanford Autism Consulting as well. We're at sdautismhelp.com. So this has just been a wonderful episode. Thank you again, Sarah from uh, San Diego Special Education Advocates for being here. So glad to have Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, an honor. Man. Awesome. Awesome. So parents, always remember you're going to be okay and your child's going to be okay, too. Thanks so much and see you in the next episode.